Returning from sabbatical, it's Adam Myros. Steve, while I was on sabbatical, you, you've concocted this whole Patreon poll, mm-hmm. uh, which that, that's fine and well, but I don't know. Maybe I have some questions about your methodology. I'm, I'm kind of almost surprised. I mean, not that we actually communicate with fans, but I'm almost surprised we didn't have like some influx of emails being like, what? What could any of this possibly even mean? Yeah, that that's the whole point. That's the idea. <laughs> yeah, that's a great benefit for our patrons. You you can decide an episode that we'll we will uh you know make in the future. Except you'll have no idea what that episode is while you're deciding it. Exactly. It's well because it, it's a different kind of decision. It's not like I'm telling you specifically what you're voting for. And and who's to say in the future that's what it won't be? But in this. <laughs> specific poll the idea was i am giving you four like very worrying titles for episodes and you're gonna have to you know as an optimism vaccine fan and patron you, you're gonna have to reverse engineer you're gonna have to look at those it's, it's like a little puzzle to solve in a way you know um i'm i'm just i'm the little jigsaw man and i'm, I'm coming in on my tricycle and uh, what what horrific thing will you choose? And, and that's kind of that's kind I mean, of where we left it. I, I suppose that was the case with the first uh, go round of this as well. But but then at least it was like, you know, you can see spaghetti sharks and be like, all right, yeah, Italian Jaws movies that 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 checks out. Like, mm-hmm. I, I literally just had to go through because uh, well, one of our patrons did request some some level of clarification. Uh, and, and, and go through our list of future episode possibilities to like, it took me like a half an hour to fucking decode what the fuck <laughs> any of this was. I think, I, I think traditionally you should still just be able to just email Optimism Vaccine and say, Hey, I paid money to the Patreon. You guys have to watch this. Just be assertive. What are we going <laughs> to do? We're probably just going to do it anyway, aren't we? Well, well Jack, that that's a that's a privilege that costs uh, twenty dollars. Right, if you, if you've paid twenty dollars, I mean, you just email us. It's like I paid twenty fucking dollars. You guys have to watch this. Like, what are we gonna say? No, realistically, yeah, no, no, we're not gonna right. say no. But the, but I mean, <laughs> the, I I suppose your assertive claim works as well because we did do Damon Packard, even though there was not a twenty dollar transaction. It was just one of those things where it was like, yeah, yeah, so we let him fair no, yeah, let say like like. The, the $25 is a guarantee. That's a slam dunk. You yeah. get whatever you want, and, and we don't, I mean, we'll complain, but we'll do it. Um, other than that, like, you can, you can always email us and make recommendations, and uh, the, the recommendation for Damon Packard was, uh, it was, it was good. It was convincing, and we're like, yeah, the guy's been on a radar anyway, so sure, why not? Let's do it. Uh, but talking about the poll and the, the results of that poll, so we had... I mean, I think these are pretty obvious, honestly, just looking at them now. A uh, couple different <laughs> options here. We had one vote for Thunderbussy, uh, which was going to be Bat Pussy and Thundercrack. So we're going to have to save that for another day, I guess. Uh, coming in at 0% of the votes. No, not a single vote for Glide on the Meat Train. Uh, little little riff there on our favorite 70s soft rock classic from our boy Yusuf Islam, but 
that is uh, Midnight Meat Train and the various American works of uh, that director. So, uh, uh, Kinomura. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of glad that didn't get picked because of uh, my own personal obligations right now. Because that that's a little more intensive episode. I think there's mm-hmm. four or five mm-hmm. movies. Uh, another another easy one here coming in at twenty five percent of the vote here. Uh, one night with Paris, and that of course, if if you're an avid listener, you know we talked about uh, Paris Hilton recently on on the show, and we were like, oh yeah, what if we did a what if we did a Paris Hilton episode sometime? And one night with Paris is in fact the cinema of Paris Hilton. So see uh, now that one I could actually decode. I I was like, all right, that's got to be Paris Hilton. Yeah, and, and we're, we're talking about uh, her, <laughs> her. Uh, I, I can't even say theatrically released because I think some of the stuff would have been straight to video. But uh, we're we're not going to watch the sex tape. I don't think. I mean, I'm trying to have, I'm trying to imagine us stringing seventy minutes or whatever on the potty and the naughty and whatever else she was on. That would be honestly that's that's taking the bones of the '90s Bay podcast format we pioneered <laughs> and uh, stretching it probably too thin. Hey, she's clearly a 2000s babe. Well, I know, yeah, but I'm saying... 90s babe, come on. In the frame, in the framework of, because, I mean, she was still treated like shit by the tabloid press in an unfair manner when they could have treated her like Mm -hmm. shit for legitimate things. So, you know. She's a little harder to sympathize with considering she's a billionaire heiress. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I I mean, obviously Hottie and the Naughty, that's that's the big one, but she's got a couple other... uh, star vehicles <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure she does and i'm sure they would have like objectives this is stretching things too thin when we did Ada nicole smith who's literally like <laughs> in like 10 minutes of a two movies <laughs> that's great just, she's a secret agent didn't... oh god i'm gonna fly a helicopter <laughs> yeah it was good it's really good didn't uh, Paris Hilton's <laughs> dog have her own or have its own movie career too i feel like that was a thing the like the the chihuahua Our, no, 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 Beverly Hills Chihuahua is like it, it's it's spiritually aligned with Paris Hilton, but Beverly Hills Chihuahua has no direct affiliation. Oh, I see. With I see. I thought I thought there was a connection there because it was, or maybe is that no. coming off that Taco Bell advertising campaign? I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot. Wow. That's actually far later than I think. It's it's more Paris Hilton adjacent than Taco. That's what Bell I was thinking. But the, way after. Yeah, like I'm not sure yeah. where the connections were. So maybe we would have a lot to discuss. Maybe this would be a great episode to bring in. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably so not, but P- possibly for future consideration. And the winner is going to come in with a hot recommendation for that fucking terrible uh, reality show with uh, Nicole Richie. <laughs> Wait, which one? I didn't. <laughs> what did what was it called? The Simple Life or Simple something Life. like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's huh? right. Okay, yeah, no, I remember. I, I can't even recommend it because I I actually was going to try and watch it because I was like, man, I wonder what that's fucking like now. And it's, it's not streaming anywhere. So then I was like, do I really want to like figure out if I can steal a torrent of the simple life off of like RBG or something? And I'm like, I don't got to fuck with that. Um, but yeah, so, so the winner with 50% of the votes, uh, we have uh, don't need nothing but a good movie watch in time. That is of course a riff on the hit 1987 song by the band Poison, nothing but a good time. And that means our patrons have spoken and we are doing the cinema of Brett Michaels. And I'm sure you're saying, wait, the cinema of Brett Michaels, Brett Michaels was an actor. Oh, it was an actor. He was an actor. He was a director. He was a, he was a, a composer, a producer, a writer. He did it all. He did it all. 
Uh, specifically, he did it all in 1998, and then he didn't do it ever again. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be watching Letter from Death Row and then No Code of Conduct, the two Brett Michaels-helmed films out there. So uh, thank you for your, for your continued support. Obviously, Optimism Vaccine, we care, we care deeply for our patrons. We, we let you vote on things that you don't know what you're voting for. It's just like when you go to the polls and there's like, uh, just like cryptically worded, uh, like things you can vote on, and and you're like, shit, I don't know if I just voted for a millage or if I voted to like ban gay people from Taco Bell or something. Uh, it it's kind of like that, you know. We just we just like to make things as as veiled as humanly possible. But rest assured, they were all wonderful options, and and boy, did you choose a good one. Also, one thing that I love about this is Brett Michaels has been using the same ridiculous ass like Johnny Depp fucking pirate picture uh for basically what I could only assume is like 35 years there's no way this man looks like this uh in his current age he's got to be like 60 now and uh yeah so I I would encourage you to look up the IMDb photo of Brett Michaels or Letterboxd as well has the same one but uh, yeah, but he looks as like we've just found goofball. out, don't try to look up his credits on IMDb because it's fucking completely obfuscated mess. Yeah, yeah, that's an uh, IMDb, IMDb issue rather than a, a Brett Michaels issue, dude. That's yeah. they they improved the website because you have to keep moving in these modern times. So they took yeah. the website that's supposed to be a bunch of lists that are easy to read, uh, and they just ruined that, which everyone is really happy about. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. Uh, also, another another fun Easter egg, if you want to prep for next week's show, uh, I, I would encourage you to just, you know, dig into every aspect of Brett Michaels' life, because every time you turn over a rock, you will find something profoundly stupid, uh, whether that's rock of love or even, you know what, here's a fun thing. Go on Wikipedia and look up how he spells the names of his children. Just look at the spelling. Even that will elicit a, a hearty chuckle from you. So plenty, plenty to... <laughs> really dig into next week but we're not talking about brett michaels right now what the fuck are we talking about uh I, a, I told something the guys, is equally perplexing as your <laughs> your patreon fucking poll this is a classic steve episode <laughs> incoming for sure this this is it what you know what i think about optimism vaccine and i say what what are the two elements what's the peanut butter and jelly that makes up the optimism vaccine sandwich and the answer is it's where the art house meets the shit house and uh, nothing exemplifies that better than the combo I have here. And not only that, but despite Adam Myros's protest, I think these movies go pretty well together. Uh, they're, they're, I don't know, they're covering some similar territory for sure. Obviously, they diverge in, in, in some different ways as well. But uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, Daisies and Freddy Got Fingered. Two, two sides of the same <laughs> coin. <laughs> the brave but Frogger no, I, I think, feature. I know somewhere, somewhere like some fucking person in Janice films just heard me say that is like having a fucking heart attack. Uh, well, I mean, at their at their core, they're both films about smashing the patriarchy. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they both have a, a girlfriend that's like, all I want to do is suck dick. Uh, no, but I, I, I think the similarities are like the essence of these movies are uh, chaos and destruction. Right. And, and then basically how how provocation uh, can lead to those things. And that's what it's about. It's about provocation. It's about destruction and, and all the chaos that ensues. Now, again, the, the going in different directions here, but um, I, 
I, I think I think there is room for these movies to be talked about in the same breath. So I, I I don't feel bad about my combination. Also, they both fucking rule. So you know, good on me for choosing two things that are actually worth watching. But uh, God, I I hadn't watched Daisies in like ten years or something. Uh, but I, I think the biggest shock is I kind of knew what I was getting into with Freddie Got Fingered, but with Daisies. It's it's kind of energizing just how transgressive and fun it feels, um, and I can only imagine when this was released in 1966, just the the way that it it thumbs its nose at uh, both like the conventions of uh, you know typical formless cinema and also like the Czechoslovakian government at the time. <laughs> it's it's pretty brave in that and i think it got banned twice like it got banned by the czech government and then it got brought back and then like <laughs> the soviets invaded like a year after that and then it was immediately banned again um, yeah you'll you'll see that a lot with the Prague spring stuff because yeah normalization occurred shortly after and they were like fuck all of you get this out of here it's all banned <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's yeah. At crazy. least it got released at some point. You got like Larks on a String or something like that, where it was like, oh yeah, that was released in 1990. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so I I am admittedly not the biggest Czech New Wave expert. So Myros, I don't know if you can help contextualize this a little bit better than I could, or Jack too. Jeez. But you didn't introduce me, so am I? Am I on this? This part, you were just oh, yeah, you were too sorry. busy talking and about Brett Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> too busy, too busy about Rock of Love. We already got love. into the conversation. Yeah, I'm, all I can think about is Rock of Love, and you know, just ignoring our our Irish pal. That's all. That's all. <laughs> As you frequently have been ignored throughout history. That's it. It's my lot in life, <laughs> but it works out. Yeah. Um. I mean, this is a this is a, an interesting kind of a film to come out of it's it's weird pairing it up with freddy got fingered because what's really funny comparing the two movies in one sense is that one is the product of a permissive western government you know western capitalism but is kind of like a fringe like relatively low budget studio production whereas the other one that got banned and you know got all in all kinds of trouble over the years is actually technically a government like state sponsored uh you know kind of prestige project effectively not exactly prestige but i mean it was produced through famu through the the czechoslovakian film school film academy that um kitlova and all of all of her many luminaries attended um and it's it's just kind of odd i grant yes i know i don't know if it's officially banned the first time around or just heavily repressed that it was like it was never it never mm -hmm. made it to like regular cinemas it was shown around academic circles uh, and widely tut tutted and and you know so on and so forth but um it, it is really really funny this is uh this is like you know an official state production effectively it went through all the tiers of that somehow and came out the other end and czechoslovakia during this period was undergoing a there was kind of a liberalization period where artists particularly all the the, the filmmakers at famu were were trying out all kinds of different things and very much engaged with you know kind of art cinema coming from western europe and some of the new cinema coming in america um 
and Daisy's very much reflects that and more. It's it's chaotic, not simply within Czechoslovakian cinema of the time, but honestly, it doesn't really have a lot of parallel parallels anywhere in the world at this juncture, wow. and probably still doesn't. Honestly, is no. It, uh, God, even the opening is like a slap in the face, right? It's it, like <laughs> all of this, like like industrial cog imagery, and then like uh, just like World War Two shit going on. And then you have these two women who are just like sitting down and they're just like, oh, the world is spoiled. I want to be spoiled, too. And then they start moving around and there's these like exaggerated sound effects like you're watching a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. <laughs> and this all happens within the span of like two and a half minutes. So it, it really is. It's like getting cold water dumped on your head. And you're like, OK, what, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, it is. Again, a little background as far as like Czech New Wave is it's a very brief window. We're talking like this period of liberalization is literally like just a few years, like three years, maybe they were uh, on an accelerated path. Yeah. It, it's just basically, uh, you know, a minister in charge of, of art censorship, uh, was replaced. And, uh, there was this brief period where they kind of opened the doors for these prog intellectuals to pump out, work and, and get funding and not be censored in, in uh, the way that they had been under the Soviet regime. And um, yeah, it, it didn't last long, but I think you'll see uh, Krimbachova and uh, Kitilova are both like really significant figures in that movement. Uh, and this is wild in a way because it, it feels at once like a part of this movement. And again, Czech New Wave is a weird movement because there's, it, it is very disconnected in many ways. There's a lot of like disparate voices. It's, it doesn't have like a, a true, like unifying yeah. sensibility to it. Um, but this is uh, probably most similar to something like the Cremator or you, you can see that uh, Jan Svankmeyer uh, was also sort of an ancillary part of this movement as well. And, and there's a lot of this, collage art and bizarre stuff in this that I feel like it's probably like it's lasting legacy in the West is the way that this sort of like really bizarre collage style was like co-opted by Western capital at some point. And, you know, it's like the sort of stuff I feel like we grew up on as, as like the aesthetic of like Nickelodeon or something. Yeah, it's just yeah. very bizarre. That's what it looks. It looks like '80s and '90s Nickelodeon kids television. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, is, and which makes it even stranger too when you're like, when <laughs> like that's like the visual, and that you're associating with, and then you look at like the underpinnings of what the movie's actually about, and it, it just makes it. I, I, it adds a whole other layer to it for me. But uh, go ahead, Jack. Yeah, I, I think like, and I suppose Adam's correct. Like the Czechoslovak cinema, there was uh, not particularly. It wasn't unified in the way that, say, the French New Wave had certain unifying characteristics, or the New American cinema tended to have. It was it was very much a, a several different people working very much to their own modes of what cinema would be. And I think Kitilova was unique even among that group in that her cinema is she she never made another film like daisy's either she all of her films have very distinct formal elements she she was not interested in repeating herself um and i suppose in a sense she probably didn't realize how influential daisy's would go on to be um but you know her earlier films prior to this had you know she made some cinema verite style stuff um 
her short film ceiling has like this incredible sequence that's very clearly indebted to like Antonioni and she go on later the uh, her next film after I think it might be the next film she made after Daisy's but it was many years after because she was banned from making movies for several years was a uh, fruit of paradise which was also with Krombachova who is the who will come up Esther Krombachova will mention a lot here because she's really the other architect of, of this film she was a writer and fashion designer and just fellow intellectual she directed a film herself too but she has writing credits on stuff like um on daisies on the party and the guests uh valerie and her week and a week of wonders um she works she i think she did costumes and like diamonds in the night she's she's just everywhere and she was seen yeah all my good countrymen as yeah. well yeah she's just like all over so she was a, so many master right yeah she's just this tremendously important person who rarely got up on the the uh, from the auteur perspective we always tend to you know focus in on directors and krumbachova was often just a little bit down the line but she was everywhere doing all kinds of things um, you know, but like Fruit of Paradise, which they made together, has some echoes to Daisy's in terms of like, you know, Garden of Eden imagery, but is again another film that frankly I think is unlike anything I've ever seen. It's it's a just incredible visually stylized film. Um and then her later films, I mean by the nineties she made films like Traps, which was like a weird like a precursor to hard candy. It's got the castration theme running straight through. You know, so th- there's elements, I mean there's castration elements in, in Daisy's um, but she she just kept making different movies over and over again. She was very hard to to peg Kitalova in a box, which is very funny because by the time she made Daisies, she had already been uh, she'd already attempted suicide, um, and that was because the people at FAMU had basically had told her at a certain point that they didn't think she was suitable for making films, and she was very dedicated to the craft she was i mean she she discovered cinema and it was like her it was all she wanted to do was to make films so when you know in a, in a, a place where the only place you could do it is through a government-sponsored film school um and they tell you we don't think you're you're the right stuff and very obviously she was not considered the right stuff not because she wasn't a very obvious talent but because she was she literally apparently she literally went into famu uh, she says as an interview in in a documentary journey uh which is kind of a discussion with her later in about 2004 i think that was filmed but she says she and she acknowledges it might have been a mistake when she literally went into <laughs> famu and she approached like the senior fellows of of the department or whatever and she literally told them she thought the movies they were making were boring and she didn't want to watch them and she wanted to make good movies which is and that's you know and i think that's the point is kidlova never compromised on anything she had very distinct visions and what she wanted to do and as a woman and you know and and as a, a political reactionary or whatever as a political radical potentially not not even i guess as an artist an artistic radical but in politically tried times that's that's loaded enough it just it got her labeled as, as a difficult, troublesome artist that maybe shouldn't be supported and maybe should be pushed aside. So in in that sense, it's mm-hmm. kind of wonderful that Daisy's has really kind of, I think, become more and more of a touchstone. I think, uh, you know, it's not a film when I was first getting into movies in like, you know, the early 2000s, Daisy's was not a film I'd heard of much. And it seems to be coming more and more to the point where now it's almost like maybe the key check new wave touch point. It's the one that everyone seems to kind of come back to or or know about at least. So 
kind of kind of impressive. She played the long game, I guess. Yeah, it's up there for me. I mean, having studied this era to an extent, I I think this is a standout work for me as far as like how much it is unique in in what it is. It's just like such a bizarre, and that's why I I think it's important that we highlight Krumachova as well because mm. it is just as much a piece of design as it is a film. You know, like there, this is such a an elaborate artistic work and yeah it's complete chaos and if you go in expecting something resembling narrative cohesion it's here to confront you uh very intentionally and um yeah but if you're going in kind of interested in in the power of image and you're gonna walk away with something for sure it's it's really a remarkable piece of work yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like the, I suppose the guideline for this film for Kid Lova was kind of like a, a, you know, kind of a freedom to create. I think I think her her ideology going to this movie based on kind of interviews she's given about it, um, her idea was that she wanted to become open to the process of anything happening within the film, that the film would not reject any kind of an idea or a process, and so. And I think with Krombachova, that that's exactly what they did. They kind of just they they found themselves on set, and they would they have the two lead actresses playing uh, Marie One and Marie Two, uh, and they're not mentioned by name anywhere in the film. We only know that's what they're credited as officially in the film, but they never actually mention anything. And they're they're just two uh, young women who apparently have no uh, kind of no pathology or personality said they they seem to be act as one effectively or interchangeably uh, and they are just out to as steve mentioned to spoil themselves they figure you know it's their time and they go out into the world and they do things and they do whatever they want and the film daisies charts that kind of progression um to utter chaos essentially as they they disrupt everything disrupting like a nightclub or a dinner or they wander into like a fancy uh clearly i think a version like a communist uh communist party kind of dinner party you know like well there's lavish food out there and they just stick their fingers and feet and everything and eat at with their hands and throw shit and yeah and this is the whole film and it's it's a combination of all kinds of like film techniques and stuff um just an absolutely kind of wild production and and even a very difficult to it's something really that like people who are more used to traditional western cinema it, it really there is an adjustment here because it is a, it's more like a cartoon in the sense that you know a character will grab another character and like drag them and they'll both fall having been dragged into a like it'll cut into a new scene and that new scene is entirely new there's nothing there's no narrative there's no uh, geography there's nothing to carry through every sequence is its own production its own idea uh, but it's also i mean a really exciting way to make a movie i can i can only imagine for them i mean this and i you know editing it and putting together all these elements there's these incredible you know montages and and details and it's i you know it it really it feels like an absolutely like liberating film and i know uh it's interesting you know kind of talking about how the film has kind of found inspiration long term and it's it's really become more and more prominent. I think one of the films that everyone comes back to that was very clearly inspired by this is uh, Rivette, Celine and Julie Go Boating. 
which is mm-hmm. I mean, just absolutely just a masterpiece as well. Just this incredible film. Um, but that's also in my, you know, in my own time has become a film that's kind of becoming more and more when, you know, a couple of years ago, no one really talked about that movie much. It was available in the UK on DVD and, you know, eventually it circled around. It's like, I should watch this. And I watched it. And I was like, why isn't everyone talking about this? You know, and there were a few other people. And then it's only really in the US since Criterion released it on Blu-ray that suddenly, you know, now every single list, I think, and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it reflected even on sight and sound, you know, that Celine and Julie go boating has like rocketed up up the listings, you know, as, as one of these films. So it's kind of these these films are starting to find that audience, but it feels like for a long time they were they were a little bit out in the cold, you know. If you knew, you knew, mm-hmm. and, it, and it was it was earth shaking. But for a lot of us, we didn't know, and we're just we're catching up now. Well, certainly not an accessible film. I mean, it is uh, maybe superficially if you're interested in just kind of letting the images wash over you and uh, enjoy some sort of transgressive humor, then you probably might enjoy sitting through it, but you're not going to pull much out of it. <laughs> sure. It's, it's a very dense film. Uh, you know, it, it's at once like very playful and also really viciously feminist film as well. <laughs> it is. I mean, and I think that's that's part of what's what is being reclaimed now is that um, it, it was interesting um, on the second run Blu-ray of this. this is a great audio commentary by Kat Ellinger and Sam Deegan, um, who kind of raised a really great point that I hadn't really considered, and they kind of wonder if maybe Daisies isn't to some degree, maybe not specifically the kicking off point, but seem to kind of come at the beginning of this growing movement of films about you know, kind of women's friendships or, you know, two, you know, women dealing with the world and in a sense, kind of like an outside of a traditional narrative. Obviously, there were many, you know, melodramas and so on that were like about women's issues, but it was always related to like marriage or home life and this and that. And, you know, it was always embedded into kind of a social commentary, whereas Daisy's is very much about just two women. Granted, they are not psychologically, um, you know, kind of like traditional women, they're, they're, they're kind of stand-ins, they're dolls. They, they proclaim in the opening credits that they, you know, they're, they're like dolls. Um, but, you know, they, they kind of, they're navigating the world and they see, you know, it's, it's just them against the world in a sense. And then, you know, following off that, we had stuff like Celine and Julie Go Boating, which is again about two women just kind of like doing their own thing. And uh, like they, they saw, you know, stuff like Times Square in 1980, you know, and several other films that came after that were about, you know, female friendship which is something which i think they made a really great point and again it's something that's not not really something i ever internalized and um, because i don't i guess i don't have to confront daily is that like in art and in cinema and even in society generally you know two women or three women or more being friends is considered dangerous potentially or incendiary women are often predicated as like bitchy and revenge you know and competitive you know that they, they 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 compete women compete in society for for male value you know um and and these these kind of films rejected that you know and there's there's fucking billions of movies about male friendship and men doing this and that and honor forged the fires of war and all this other horse shit uh, you know there there are not that many films that are about women just kind of hanging out 
it's not really a whole thing. Claudia Wilde's girlfriends, for example, you know, the, the, these films, they're here and there, but it's not like a major thing. And Daisy's in 66, I'm trying to think of the films earlier than that that would kind of match that archetype, and I'm not really coming up with many at all. So kind of an interesting point, yeah, you know, and, and Daisy's obviously is very out there as well you know not all the films would be exactly like that but it, it is kind of it seems like a touchstone maybe for kind of a female centric cinema that didn't really exist and i think kitlova and krombachova kind of made it they had to it wasn't there we got to do it let's go and uh, here you go here's daisies and then they banned it because it was like nope we don't like that that's very worrying <laughs> yeah that's well, and I guess one of the other reasons that it got banned, and I, I think this is because, you know, stuff like that, I think it's it's easier to make the connection. But I, I guess the government was upset because at the time, uh, you know, and food wasn't always as widely available as it maybe should have been. And so much of the movie, the, the humor and what they're doing, it centers around wasting food. Uh, whether that's like one of the many scenes where they're just like sitting at a restaurant with some older man and just like shoving cake into their mouths and just like uh, blasting cigarettes. And yeah, it just which is it's super fucking funny. And then every single time they like get the guy to get on a train and then they don't go with him on the train and they just kind of like. <laughs> He like looks out. He's like, "Oh, what happened?" And then they're just standing there. Yeah, I believe and, and one they of do the it official... like three times. It's like it's like a reoccurring bit. And then, of course, you get to the uh, kind of the centerpiece uh, of the movie, which is where they show up at this um, ridiculous preset dinner party and spend a good ten minutes just like smashing food and dancing around, uh, having a fashion show on top of a table while they stomp all over Jello. Uh, so. Yeah, I, it's great. <laughs> yeah, one of one of the official reasons as well given for its banning was wantonness, which is not mm. something you usually hear associated with a film getting banned. That's that's a really kind of like soul searching. Like this just makes me uncomfortable. I just don't want. I don't want it out there. So wantonness, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good reason to ban a film. Um, yeah, I, the banquet stuff is all fantastic, as is, as is the conclusion where they face their sort of recompense, and, and it's this idea of, like, trying to reassemble this broken world, and <laughs> nothing fits together quite right, and it's just very profound stuff. I, I think this movie is uh, incredible and worth seeking out if you're uh, at all an adventurous uh movie watcher yeah and i mean it's it's 70 minutes long or 76 minutes long this is one of the great things about the czech new wave it's like honestly they just they dealt everything up in like 75 minute slabs that like so many of these movies are like literally 75 minutes almost to the to the number like that was their ideal movie length um which you know maybe maybe we could learn from that right not like martin scorsese's next movie is going to be nearly four hours long because tell him a shoemaker can't edit movies <laughs> Shout out to Twitter discourse, which is going to be insufferable oh when that movie God. comes out. I got to meet one of these people. Are these people fucking real? Like they are apparently real. But anyhow, I mean, I, I trust me. I've watched plenty of movies where I'm like, just cut out like eighty minutes of the of the hundred minute runtime, and maybe there'd be something here for me. But like, <laughs> realistically, the idea that there's people on the internet right now that are like a Martin Scorsese movie, which I have not seen nor has anyone, uh, it, 
it's apparently going to be long and therefore it should be edited. Meanwhile, they're fucking like mainlining all kinds of like bullshit ass Netflix shows. That right. That's like, the thing. Like, he's going 90 through minutes like an episode. 13 hour Netflix like meandering dramas. And then also the fact that, like, okay, Scorsese goes long. His last movies were like The Irishman and Silence. It's like the, the guy knows what he's doing with the runtime. These aren't, you know. But of course they don't know that. But you know, anyhow, yeah. it's just it's a whole it can, and a whole it could be thing. done. I promise. If you're if you're listening right now and you're one of these, uh, oh, Marty should cut down his movies. I can't believe the hubris of a man who just gets a blank check. Which is this is that's all bullshit, anyways. But uh, you know, ask yourself, when was the last time you watched three episodes of Married at First Sight in a row? And uh, the answer is probably like last week, and that's why you need to shut the fuck up because that's it's the same thing. It's the same thing. We're well, just talking about this before. This nobody <laughs> <laughs> this discourse stands in relation to like uh your marvel films and your whatnot but my god try watching one of those fucking things lately it's like what, what, what are we doing here like you want oh, something yeah. that needs to be edited uh take a look at black panther what the fuck ever like yeah it felt like wakanda forever i'll tell you that <laughs> hey oh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's, it's but again it's, these are the same people who like 20 years ago would have been like, oh, what if we took the whole afternoon and watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy all in a row? Wouldn't that be swell? Yeah. They're, they're also the fucking, fuck the fucking extended DVD cuts. It's like, you oh, couldn't pay yeah. me enough. For fuck's <laughs> they're, sake. They're man. also the kinds of people who I'm pretty sure would tune into a movie like Daisy's and feel like it feels very long and I wish the characters were more relatable. So, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair, let's we, we should probably acknowledge some people that just, they don't have it. They did just like no. they told Kitalova she didn't have it, but they were wrong. But when I say someone yeah. doesn't have it, I'm correct. And you don't have right. yeah. the, you don't have what it takes to watch. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, I think some people don't, and yet somehow online they've they forged their entire identity around them, which is deeply confusing and seems unfortunate for them. But you know, yeah. what what, what are what are we gonna do? Yeah, I don't know why anyone would think the women of Daisies aren't relatable. I mean, that's like basically every woman I know is like that. So I, I don't, I don't fucking get it. Like, yeah. <laughs> how many? I mean, don't you, don't you know women who are just like constantly eating food with scissors? Like that's fucking cool. just cutting up um, uh, just on like an array of phallic food. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's another afternoon in in the park. Yeah. Well, uh, if, again, if, this is there's this idea that they are what men have made them, and uh, I think you know. To an extent, that that's a fine place to transition to our second film, because it feels like, not that this movie has any sort of ethos or, or point, but if there were one, it would, it would kind of be, uh, it's, it's a movie about fathers and, and their destructive capabilities. <laughs> Dude, uh, right. What if Rip Torn was your dad? He was mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is, uh, so Freddie got fingered, my God. Uh, this was my, I think my third watch and first time I saw it was when it first came out and I, I did not completely resonate with me. And then I saw it again. I'm like, you know, this is a, this is a little better than I thought it was. And this time I feel like, I don't know. I, I just, I touched the hand of God this time. Like I, I, I felt it. I understood it. I get it. And a, a big part of this is, you got to think about who Tom Green is and specifically who he was when this movie was made. So Freddie Got Fingered came out in 2001. 
uh, famously savaged by critics, did okay at the box office. I think it did like 20 mil or something, and then it ended up making like 25 mil in DVD sales that year. So it, it did okay. It wasn't like a total flop. But uh, at the time, Tom Green was just against all odds, this massive cultural figure, like an insane amount of cultural cachet. And yeah, it was, it was jackass before jackass. Yeah, that, that's a big, that's a huge, huge part of it. And if you think about, think about it in 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 you know that way, like as a proto jackass thing, and and really a good example of like MTV really being kingmakers uh, for, I mean, more so than I think they had ever been at that point because MTV had the ability to launch and, and support the careers of, of different people, but not at the level of, of Tom Green. Like, even if you think about like, Oh, they're VJs like fucking Jesse camp. Remember Jesse camp and they trot his ass oh, yeah. out there. And then he put out a fucking shitty album and then no one <laughs> bought it. And I don't even know where he is now. He's probably like sleeping on the beach somewhere. So Tom Green, he, he shoots this show, the Tom Green show, basically like cable access level shit and gets put on the air in Canada. MTV catches wind of it and they're able to play it on MTV and it's a huge fucking hit. And this was, it was proto jackass, proto like Andy Milanakis, uh, proto uh, Eric Andre would be a good contemporary analog yeah. if you want to like get on that wavelength. And it was fucking funny and it was fucking weird. And there was a lot of the gross out stuff. And then there was, was some of the, um, like the shock stunts that Jackass would do. So when Bam Margera would go and like, I don't know, hit his dad with a plunger or something like that. Tom Green, his father was legit, like a general in the Canadian army or some shit. And like drove tanks, very stern man, very rip torn esque perhaps. And there's this great bit where Tom Green takes his dad's car and gets it like airbrush painted. And it's like a photo realistic of his dad fucking his mom. And then it just says Slutmobile on the side of the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking great bit. But then there's, there's yeah. also some more like heady stuff that he does too. There's a really good skit from, I, it might even be like the, the pilot of the Tom Green show or one of the earliest episodes, but he goes into a subway a sandwich shop and the whole thing at subway is like, you get as many toppings as you want, but most people stop within reason. So he's like, yeah, I'll have a, a Turkey on, on fucking wheat or whatever. And then he's just like, yeah, so some lettuce, tomatoes, a little bit of onion. And he just keeps going. He's like, yeah, a little more lettuce, a couple pickles, a little bit. <laughs> The guy's just putting it on there and the camera just kind of like zooms back and you just see this sandwich with like a two foot tall pile of shit on top of it. <laughs> it's fucking great. It's great. So he takes this and then he is able to parlay that into like, okay, well, like what else can he do? Like how powerful is he? And this is how fucking powerful he is. He makes a song. He doesn't even put out a fucking album. He makes a song about putting his butt on things. It's just called the bum bum song. And it's just like, my, my butt's on a rail, my butt's on a bench, my butt's... That's, that's all he says. That's it. And it gets played on the fucking radio. And it's like number one on Total Request Live, which at the time, late 90s MTV, is like the cultural thing. 
And all of this is happening. So he, he gets that. And then he gets some Hollywood movie roles. So he's in the movie uh, Road Trip. Massive, mm-hmm. massive hit. And for a long time, it was one of the highest grossing R-rated comedies, like, ever. Ever. Just did, like, insane fucking numbers for the time. And so he's got all of this goodwill building. And so the most magical thing humanly possible happens to him. Because this is a guy who's been doing, like, He's been pushing boundaries his entire career and mostly getting shot down. But every time he can break through just a little bit, he's massively successful. And all he's looking for is for someone to finally not say no. And this is how we get Freddie Got Fingered. Because he is so powerful as a cultural figure for some fucking reason that he harnesses his 15 minutes and there's a bidding war. For Freddie Got Fingered between major studios. And I, I am willing to believe there was no script, just a concept, or just the idea of we will give Tom Green X amount of dollars. He ends up going with 20th Century Fox because they agree to also let him direct, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> and then we are treated to one of the most like deranged, surreal, gross out comedies that almost solely exists to both take the piss out of early 2000s and late 90s gross-out comedies that were popular at the time, but also just embarrass 20th Century Fox. We were talking about this on, on the, uh, our Slack chat or whatever, but I think one of the best jokes or gags in the entire movie is the fact that it starts with the classic 20th Century Fox intro and then immediately goes to like the opening scene where it's Tom Green laying in a bed, holding up pictures of these like weird cartoons that he drew. And he's talking like a baby voice. He's like, this is a cat who can see through wooden doors. Here's the wooden doors. And it's the dumbest fucking shit. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Look, so, Steve. Uh, guys, I, I, I mean, Jack, tell me why this is the best movie of all time. You well, know, Steve, I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think I think it's nice you contextualized it like that, but I think you could also just contextualize Freddy Got Finger by saying it's the movie that came out a mere five months before the September 11th attacks, and I think that's you yeah. know that that's a telling a telling statistic. It is. There's a negative review of of Freddy Got Fingered somewhere that i because i was like reading through like old reviews and some newer ones and someone just said that it was the worst thing that happened in 2001 <laughs> yeah which is absolutely that that's what he was going for uh you know he didn't realize it was yeah. going to be that much competition yeah it, it's funny because i mean not being in america at the time i i was not in on any of this and i don't really remember any particular fanfare about freddie got fingered a lot of its cultural uh, cachet is in the US specifically but it was always you know kind of known as like the movie they got savaged by critics and everyone said it was so bad and it won a bunch of razzies etc and I, I watched it a good few years ago and I, I it didn't really leave much of an impact one way or the other but you know watching it again now I mean it's it's got bigger laughs than, than any of the gross out comedies from that era that you know people still kind of fondly recall or you know american pie is so you know it was it was a big thing a road trip or whatever it's kind of like you know uh, I, th- I think this is better than all of them that i can recall and it's you know because it, it's it's in part leaning in on being utterly 
chaotic and also on being very much like the breaking of that exact form of cinema. It's like it pretty much how do you make a gross out comedy after Freddy got fingered? It's very difficult. Have mm-hmm. you watched, you know, the film with the man with who jacks off multiple animals and then has his fucking uh, umbilical cord stick like sticky taped to him as a gag. It's actually an umbilical cord that he stole from a newborn baby that he ripped out of a woman's <laughs> vagina and swung around the room like a lasso. Exactly. You see, Steve, you I, I, he describes it as his umbilical cord. I think it might be an instance of Two umbilical <laughs> yeah, I think they might, be, <laughs> might be different. It's hard. We go into the lore of Freddy Got Fingered. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. it's a wild film. It's it's very funny. The In terms of its pairing here, I suppose the only, the only thing we, we run into is that if uh, Daisies is like a film by women kind of like railing against their social and professional positions... Uh, Freddy Got Fingered is is basically just uh, the insane story of a man who basically is just given everything he wanted and everything's mm. going swell. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a different kind of warning. This right. is this is what Dra- what Daisies is working to you know tell us about so that we wouldn't have this future and and this is the future. It's Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I I just, I don't know. I, I really fucking love this movie. Like, just, just thinking about all the different bits, I just... Well, that's like the best way to view this movie, right? Is It's like, yeah, if I sit back and reminisce about the bits that work, they really work. There are some scenes in this that are like, oh, fucking Rorius. Like, just goddamn hilarious. And then there's also a bunch of stuff that's best left in in 2001 it doesn't it doesn't maintain attain full thing i would say like it's kind of i think it peaks somewhere in the middle and then the back half it's kind of like you're kind of you're inured you know what's coming but um yeah i mean it's it's a pretty impressive piece of work to make on company money frankly like this this should this should be an insane project a guy made in his garage but instead, he managed mm-hmm. to get Rip Torn to drag him through a, like, fucking shower glass window and stuff. I mean, it's it's full. They <laughs> yeah. build, they pretend to be in Pakistan and, and have a fucking house on the back of a truck and then get fake elephant cum to spray everyone down with. Like, that's, there, there's inventory, yeah. there's invoices in 20th Century Fox's uh, records for all of this, and they will be there in perpetuity. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful thing. And I, I think if you haven't seen Freddy Got Fingered, let's say you haven't seen it in 20 years or however long, and you're considering revisiting uh, a good comparison, or at least where it kind of connected in my head, is, you know, is Freddy Got Fingered for you? Maybe. How do you feel about the late career films of Jerry Lewis? Do you like Hardly Working? Do you like Cracking Up? Either of those movies appeal to you, <laughs> perhaps this will as well. Um, just because I think Jerry got he got a lot darker as he got older, and as he you know wasn't getting the the money to make movies like he was before. But also, it has the same kind of propulsive energy that a Jerry Lewis movie has. Where uh, you know I feel like Jerry Lewis is he's constantly trying to fit a sight gag or a joke into every single scene, every single moment. And that's how Freddy Got Fingered works, too. Like, there, there's not a down period for more than 30 seconds before there's something else popping up on screen that's either going to, you know, shock you, surprise you, disgust you, or make you laugh, or some combination <laughs> of those things. 
So it's it's got that same energy. And even though this era, this like late 90s into early 2000s era is known for, you know, the, the gross out comedies, there's something about Mary, American Pie, shit like that. With a lot of those films, there's kind of a, a saccharine underpinning to kind of soften the gross out. And it, it just feels like they're, they're pulling a punch a lot of the time. So, you know, everybody, when you think about American Pie, you're like, oh, and then he like does the webcam thing where he sees Shannon Elizabeth's boobs and then he sticks his dick in the pie. And oh man, remember when he stuck his dick in the pie and then Eugene Levy, is he going to eat the pie? We don't know. But that movie is so fucking soft. <laughs> the rest of the it's time. schmaltzy like, it's so as goddamn, hell. Yeah, it's like so goddamn schmaltzy. So goddamn yeah. schmaltzy. And most of the gross out comedies were that way. That's just the way that it was. And Tom Green has no interest in that at all. Even <laughs> if we look at there's there's like such a simple stereotypical film arc to the story, which is Gord, who's Tom Green's character, the, the misunderstood artist. He draws these comics uh, that are funny or whatever. But he's weird and the comics are weird. So, you know, no one will give him the time of day. And finally, he, he works hard and he figures out a, a good angle for creating his art. And he shows it to the, the TV executive guy. And the guy writes him a check for a million dollars. And he's made it. And a typical American comedy would have just ended at that point, right? Like, that's the logical end. He did it. He, he yeah, overcame he's gonna his go bullshit. Buy, he's going to go marry the girl, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's going to go marry the girl. And then that's not how the movie fucking ends. Because then it's like, okay, so he burns like $200,000 or something on renting a helicopter and buying a bunch of jewels. And just like <laughs> flying the helicopter to his girlfriend and saying like, look, I got a million dollars. I have, I got you jewels. And now, you know, we can be together. And she's like, all I want to do is suck your dick, man. Literally, that's what she says. And so, I mean, you have that. And then not only that, but then, well, where does he go from there? Does it end there? Because, oh, he wasted all that money, but he still got some money and blah, blah, blah. No, he takes every last cent that he has. just. So he can literally saw, he drugs his father, saws his father's house in half, and then transports his drug dad to Pakistan, where they're in the desert, and then eventually he like jacks off an elephant, and then they are captured by some military group, and then America has to negotiate for the return of Tom Green and his father, and there's like a montage of them playing, playing like Russian roulette and shit, and the movie actually ends where they are ushered off of a plane after being, uh, you know, rescued, and the final scene is a plane propeller uh, completely like eviscerates a child spraying a crowd with blood, and that's how it ends. That's how it fucking ends. Tom Green goes hard. <laughs> it's really funny because, yes, I mean, you, you're right. What this movie doesn't have is it, it's kind of like it's stretched over an abyss. It's kind of like it's just absolutely insane. There's no safety net or saving grace for the characters in particular. It's just sort of like absolutely chaotic. And it's one of the things that struck me as interesting kind of in that vein watching this is this is a movie that's like full of like out right disgusting crazy things but like there's one sequence in it where she where his first meeting with betty his his 
girlfriend where he goes to the hospital because his friend has this horrific broken leg from using the, the skateboard ramp they built of you're course asking yourself does he lick the man's yes, open he, leg wound yes he does, yes, he, he, does. does. He, does. he does of course he does while everyone screams while there's just a <laughs> chorus of screaming on the soundtrack so he goes to the hospital and he meets pretty girl at the counter and he chats with her and she ex- she responds favorably and gives him his number and then she pulls back and she's in a wheelchair and she wheels away and it's like this kind of shock joke and it's it really it strikes me this it's like the pillar of 90s comedy to a sense was things like this, this is like a friend's gag um and it's sort of the, this strange thing in you know gross out comedies and comedies of that era was that there was this strange meanness to them and we've discussed like we talked about like we had our whole series where we looked at like 90s movies starring like you know like anna nicole smith and pamela anderson and in that we kind of discussed this vindictiveness of 90s media, like the tabloids news, which is absolutely viciously misogynist and cruel beyond any reasonable measure or necessity. Um, comedy in a similar way, like Friends is a really weird comedy show to look back on now. And I think it was just this week, Fre- uh, Jennifer Aniston was complaining about how like, you know, people complain about Friends. And I was like, yeah, they do, Jen. Uh, for two reasons. One, because it sucks. I, you know, it wasn't a good show at yep. the time. Frankly, it's not a funny sitcom. No. It's kind of shitty. Yeah. But also, everyone in Friends is awful. They're all awful people. And that's not a problem. Everyone in Seinfeld is also awful. But for some reason in Friends, we're supposed to like them. And I never, never understood why. They're all terrible people. Yeah. And I don't know why I'm supposed to like them. And it would be a complete friend storyline to have some person fall for an attractive looking person and then find out they're in a wheelchair and be like, oh, God, that's so embarrassing. How we can't really like what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm not, it's not that I have anything against people in wheelchairs, but like, isn't this a conundrum and funny, you know, because I'm not in a wheelchair <laughs> and I can't really imagine being in a wheelchair, you know, and this these are kind of like beats in 90s comedy that would have been completely normal. In Freddy Got Fingered, the outrageously offensive movie, they do that cut and it's kind of there as a beat to a joke and then Gord doesn't care. He's fine. There's no problem whatsoever with her being in a wheelchair at all. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's kind yeah. of funny moving on at how everything in Freddy Got Fingered in a lot of ways, it's, and it is a film that I think has been reclaimed a lot by modern audiences. And a large part of that is because, frankly, what what is offensive in it is meant to be offensive and outrageous, but it's not really offensive on the micro level. On the, Its politics are actually pretty solid in a lot of ways uh, w- <laughs> yep. what what amount of them are even comprehensible uh, it's not a movie that picks on people at all uh, it's just about an insane man doing insane things <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. I, exactly I mean there is I suppose vitriol leveled at, at this uh, disabled character but it is it's very pointedly leveled from this sort of <laughs> oh yeah uh, ridiculously vicious uh paternal figure that is ripped he's the worst worst dad ever although frankly at the same time you would also like it it doesn't make any sense that tom green's character comes from this family since his younger brother is like perfectly normal the mother is like a shrew who just sort of like she she shrinks away from from confrontations and then it's just ripped or and tom green just just destroying each other's uh property and psyches in various different ways which is just again i don't i don't care about things in this movie that don't work because every time it's just rip torn and tom green like fucking engaging with each other it's just 
so fucking funny. Like, no. consistently goddamn hilarious. Oh, the way the jokes build, too, like, just masterfully put together. There's a, a really, like, dark, but just bizarre, goofy scene where they're talking to, like, a, like a therapist or, yeah, like a family therapist. And, you know, Rip Torn and Tom Green have been arguing back and forth, and Tom Green just goes, well, I mean, this is where the title of the movie comes from. He's like, he fingered my, my little baby brother. <laughs> and then, so the way that this branch is off, because he's lying and Rip Torn's like, he's fucking lying. And then like Tom Green, like smashes a window and just like screams out of the window for added dramatic effect. But then they go to his adult brother's apartment and like make his adult brother go to like a fucking home for abused children. And then Rip Torn is pissed and he's like drunk and he's yelling at Tom Green. He's like, you know, I didn't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And then he does this real like macho bullshit thing uh, where he's just like, uh, you know, he, he tells his like Tom Green tells his dad, like, I'll oh, go fuck yourself or something. But uh, a real macho thing is like, oh, you want to fuck me? You want to fuck me? And then Rip Torn takes down his pants. He's just like waving his ass at Tom Green. He's like, <laughs> come on, fuck me. Like, and then as he's doing that, the mom walks downstairs so that she sees, she just sees Rip Torn waving his ass, yelling, fuck me. And then she immediately is just like freaks out. So you have all these different layers to this stupid fucking joke. And it's, it, it really is, it's masterful shit. Like there's so many parts of this movie where clearly Tom Green didn't write anything like he's like, OK, and then I pull off on the side of the highway and I see barnyard animals and like I jack off a horse. Like, I don't think because there's deleted scenes too where he's like milking a cow and shit like that. Like that was not meticulously scripted, but the bits that are are so fucking good. And then you add to that just the little ad libs that him and Rip Torn are doing throughout this. And it is oh fucking great. Uh, also, a another parallel with Daisy's amazing restaurant slash dining room uh, i was i was gonna say well. <laughs> i think i think part of what really works here is like is it clearly for all of the insanity green has an absolute awareness of what he's doing and like there's a scene where mm -hmm. he he has to get inside his animal character's mind and his in his mind he just translates that into i need to get inside of an animal and he finds a dead deer on the side of the road and he, he cuts it open and starts wearing its skin and it's a ridiculous scene and it's not like it's kind of like okay right fair enough this is very gross and silly or whatever but this the scene ends with him getting just hit full force by a semi truck and then just getting up and going, I didn't expect that to happen. And then it just cuts and that's done. <laughs> Finish. And it's kind of like that's that's, that kind of punctures it. But then getting back to the restaurant scene, like in the midst of all the chaos in the restaurant, there's just one voice. I don't even know whose voice it is. Just shouts out, this is a fancy restaurant. And that's like the setting. It's like, it's like, you know, this isn't meant to happen here. This is a nice restaurant. And it's very much that kind of same sensibility of daisies in, in that in that moment of kind of understanding. It's like these are all these nice things that society affords us. And, you know, we all understand how we fit into it. And you're not meant to do this. And these movies mm. are about doing it anyway. They're, you know, stick your fingers in the food. Just go for it. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's probably the greatest movie ever made. Uh, it sure I, don't even know, yeah, I have complicated feelings on the movie. I suppose I, I think it's like 
okay it's just it, it's really funny uh but it's also like a good 50 percent like complete mess that i don't want to watch but when it's hitting holy shit it's funny and there's also just goofy little things like they i mean they 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 whisk his adult brother away to the home for abused children and then they're all just sitting in a room watching texas chainsaw massacre for some <laughs> reason like and that's just that's there no one even comments on it it's just a thing in the movie those are the little details like this is just there's there's stuff going on here like this movie is nowhere near as like aloof and absurd as i think a lot of people thought over the time it's like he's just doing random stuff it's like no there's a mind behind this and it hates Mm -hmm. a lot of the things you think are funny and i think that's really what what it comes back to is like freddy got fingered is the movie that doesn't like the comedies that were surrounding it that it's going to get compared to in a sense it's almost like showgirls coming in a little earlier you know it's the the movie that said like you know here's the economy of american sex and everyone went like, oh, I don't like that at all. Uh, this this movie is it's disgusting. Uh, you know, Freddy Got Fingered is like the gross out comedy equivalent in a sense. It's like, here's the gross out comedy. Here's what we're doing. We're stripping it all down. And uh, it, it's, it works really well when it works. I mean, I, I think it's necessarily uneven. I'm not sure you could, you know, kind of work this into a, a full 90 minute kind of like what we say like completely successful package because its highs mm. are just so outrageously shrill and arch that you know i'm not i'm not sure how you even compensate for them with the rest of the movie it's a very unsteady lurching vehicle but uh it, i think it's it, it holds up pretty well on the whole i had a great time watching this again you know we even is not invested in its original theatrical run and it's uh it's you know kind of legacy to see it now and think back to the early 2000s like yeah no wonder this pissed people off because it's it was meant to and i think it's really funny that it did (laughs) yeah that's great yeah it's it's basically yeah and when you talk about it having a bone to pick with a lot of that sort of comedy it's the very sort of comedy that they're trying to slap tom green into you know they're just plugging him into your road trips it's not like that movie really has anything to do with his sensibilities he's he's just kind of like and tom green is here eating a rat for some reason yeah <laughs> like it yeah uh, so it, it definitely feels like a direct sort of reaction to this sort of round hole they were trying to jam him into in, in the early on yeah which i mean makes it admirable too because i'm not saying he was deliberately trying to destroy his career but you gotta think he's like okay so i'm gonna take Every amount of goodwill and cultural cachet that I have, I'm going to funnel it into this one project that is just pure, uncut, just the essence of Tom Green. And yeah. the essence of Tom Green is is like, fuck your sensibilities and all the things you think are funny. It's I mean, yeah, like I, I think it, it comes back to, I mean, a punk sensibility. Like, it's not sustainable. Like, the, the, the mm-hmm. conflagration that is the punk mentality, it, it can't work that way which is what you know there's no good punk band that's just been doing first generation punk for 50 years that's not that's completely unviable it's absurd yeah it's one of the reasons it's so funny now that metallica have i just listened they have a new ep out apparently i think it might be a single i think they might have a whole album coming but uh one of the things is is about like 
one of the new songs is like it's James Hetfield just doing his James Hetfield voice talking about how he's like the son of darkness and it's like you're fucking 60 years old and you're a multi-millionaire this is absurd this is like no one can take this seriously and it's kind of a similar vibe. like he doesn't understand I think what Tom Green understood which was that I think Tom Green probably understood I can't do this for very long this isn't gonna work for very long it's amazing it's worked for as long as it has I've got a I got to gather it all together and make, you know, put it on the wall and just just see what happens. And I think Krombachova and uh, Kitlova understood to a degree with Daisies, probably something similar. It was like, we, we've got to get this out. And we, he, they never went back and made another movie like that because what would be the point? You know, it's it's there. They did it. A similar idea, you know, it's kind of it's it's burning the bridges down. You know, you can't you someone else to build another bridge. It'll be just a different thing. You know, they can burn that down. It'll be yeah. a different fire. It will never be the same thing. So, you know, you got to you got to work what you have. And I, th- I think necessarily for stuff like this, it's it's kind of like an uneasy, unsteady, unstable thing. And at some point it's going to explode. And what you hope is it will do it spectacularly. You know, that's that's the way to do it rather mm-hmm. than 20 years down the line being like middle aged Tom Green and still doing crazy shit. I don't know what he does now. I think the last thing I saw Tom Green on was he was like a guest judge on Canada's Drag Race, the, the RuPaul spinoff yeah. show. And I was like, holy shit, it's Tom Green. I haven't seen him in a long time. I'm hope he, I hope he's having a good time. You know, I, I, I don't I, know. Yeah. I think he, he made I his mean, money. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he definitely made it. He, he made his money. I think after after this movie came out and flopped, he did a revival of the Tom Green show called like the new Tom Green show. And it was a very different show. That was like, the yeah, that was like more of a talk show, talk show. Uh, but it's still Tom Green live. It was called. Oh yeah. Well, no, there's, there's actually, no, that's a different thing. The Tom Green show. Yeah. So basically he took the Tom Green show initial format it evolved, and then new Tom Green show was a little more talk showy. Tom Green live, very talk showy. And then after that, he just sort of like, I, I mean, it's not like he ever went away completely, but obviously he never hit the same highs that he was at when he <laughs> released uh, Freddy Got Fingered. Well, yeah, like now I imagine at this point he leaves TikTok his dad's car just, alone. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't, he's not, he hasn't done any mobiles recently, but yeah, he's on TikTok and he just like lives on a fucking ranch somewhere and he just has like farm animals. And Beautiful. he's not even goofy. He's just like, look at my goats. He's not just jerking cow. them like, off every day. No, I mean, maybe. I don't, possible. <laughs> well, that's his own business. But the thing is, like, none of his shows are uh, like, none of them lasted long. You know, the Tom Green show was like on for three or four years and then went away, you know. And for that, I, I applaud it. You know, I, I, I'm not a huge jackass person. I, I much preferred Tom Green stuff, and that's probably because it ended. You know, it went away, and now I can fondly re- recall it, and it never got that stale. And even his late-night show, which, again, talk about a stale format, it was funny. It was legitimately funny, and it wasn't on for very long. And I'm sure if you put on an episode of that compared to really any modern late night stuff you you would still laugh because it, it's got actual jokes in it not just like here's yesterday's newspaper headlines <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah exactly exactly well we should probably wrap this up but yeah daisies and freddie got fingered uh, watch them both you know maybe sure. not back to back i don't know or watch them back to back they're fucking good you'll have a good afternoon that way uh but watch out 
It's a lot of movie. You do it all in one sitting. You might find yourself saying, hey, edit this down, buddy. Uh, no, I, I don't know. Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I think the best movie I've seen in the last couple of weeks is Memories of Underdevelopment, which is a Cuban film. Very interesting. It's almost like a third world cinema, like superimposed over uh, new wave cinema. You know, it's 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 very much in dialogue with, uh, you know, sort of Godard and Fellini. And it stars this like complete fucking piece of shit who's dissatisfied with everything and judgmental and and feels very much like a direct sort of assault on the new wave protagonist or he's almost like in fucking like Mastriani cosplay you know <laughs> like and mm. it's a very strange movie that interjects a lot of like documentary footage and newsreel stuff and it, it is flawed sure but I think uh worth checking out it's a really interesting thing to to view if you are familiar with a lot of new wave stuff and to see this sort of uh third world rebuttal is is quite fascinating jack what do you put over this week i'm gonna keep i guess with with uh french new wave inflected stuff uh i recently revisited for the first time in years uh jim mcbride's breathless the 1983 remake of the goddard film which is a terrible idea it's utterly stupid to remake Goddard's Breathless and let alone to set it in another country and I think McBride realized that would be a very stupid thing to do so he makes he kind of builds up this entirely new kind of like really tries to capture the spirit rather than the details um so it's it's got an American man this time Richard Gere and a French woman Valerie Kaprisky and uh, Gere is in great form as this kind of like Jerry Lee Lewis loving rocker uh, free spirit who hack accidentally murders a policeman accidentally on purpose kind of uh, and is on the run and it's just it's a really crazy kind of great uh, kind of whirlwind encapsulation of Americana um, that features some really unusual things I mean for for one thing have you have you ever seen like or have you ever heard uh, Philip Glass's uh, opening from Glassworks uh, but have you ever heard that with like an accordion stuck in it because because <laughs> that happens in this movie because uh, jack nietzsche does the uh the soundtrack and he's got some ideas uh it's mm. it's a really impressive piece of work and it's so it's a very distinct piece of work entirely separate of, of its new wave influences it's it's very much a kind of a separate piece and well worth a look and it just came out on blu-ray from fun city edition so really lovely new edition of it to check out so yeah, uh, Breathless by Jim McBride. I'm gonna have to go check out more of his stuff because I know he's made some other movies people say are good, but I've never got around to those. So probably mm -hmm. is because he seems like he knows what he's doing. All right. Well, I'm putting over uh, a movie about hanging out with your buds and making bad decisions and just you know trying to trying to feel something. John Cassavetes, Husbands. I just uh, I just snagged it from the Criterion sale and it's fucking good. It's, uh, I, I don't know, is this like, I feel like it's not one of the cool, hip, popular Cassavetes movies to talk about. I don't, I don't know why. It's, it's fucking great. Probably because it's not in that box set that Criterion put out. Yeah, so. they put it out, they put it out later and I haven't watched it since I saw some dingy digital D ancient DVD rip. So it looked so cruddy. I had difficulty concentrating on it. So it's definitely one I need to go back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. 
If uh, if the idea of masculinity masculinity in crisis entices you, well, shit, you know this could be the move. Uh, what those masculines up to now? Yeah, Peter Falk. He he could have been Tom Green's dad. Who knows? Uh but yeah, it's great. Watch it, especially if you haven't seen it since it was on a shit ass DVD, because uh, it, it looks great now too. So that's always a bonus. But watch more Cassavetes in general. It'll do you good. Uh, with that. If you enjoyed this podcast, do us a big favor and uh, click the link that's in the description. Why would you do such a thing? What a silly fucking question to ask. I basically already addressed it at the top of the show. Because if you give us money, one, it helps the show, but two, there's so many benefits for you, dear listener. You, you, if you live in the continental United States, I will send you a movie to your house. Perhaps, perhaps a, a copy of Husbands, written and directed by John Cassavetes will show up at your door. You have no idea. It's anything is possible. Uh, now, in addition to that, if you donate at a higher tier, say the $5 tier, you get even more, even more. And that includes the ability to vote in polls for future episodes. Thanks to our dedicated $5 and above tier patrons, we now have a wonderful episode. For next week and and boy boys we can't wait can we we're so excited I, oh yeah i yeah i can't wait for this it's gonna be good <laughs> it's gonna be great steve next gonna, time you may have to tell the patrons what they're voting for so they don't vote for the cinema of brett michael just send us angry <laughs> emails yeah it's gonna be great i'm just gonna uh, i'm gonna see jack next week and i'm just gonna drive him around in my car at 110 miles per hour blasting poison from the stereo it's gonna be fucking awesome it's in Milwaukee um, living. That's that. That's I mean that's that's just called another day in Milwaukee. It's that's what we do around here. But yeah, uh, in addition to that, you also get your name right out on the air uh, on the air. So Myros, who are five dollar and above patrons? Uh, we have Hoofy Hoof, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Wonderful. Now let's say you're a truly, truly dedicated OV fan. And you, you really want to help us out. Well, there's also a $25 tier. Now, uh, it, we, of course, would love you to have reoccurring $25 payments because Lord knows you help keep the lights on. But uh, if you just want to do a one-timer and drop down to a lower tier, that's cool too. But for $25, you get to tell us what we do for an episode. Anything you want. Any movie. Any hentai that Myros hasn't already watched. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's all available. It's all possible. I really thought no. you'd have switched to uh, the whale as the punishment uh, instead of hentai. <laughs> the <at this> whale. <laughs> I was, I, I was I mean, waiting yeah, for it to show up the on the poll, and I'm like, "Thank God he didn't put the fucking whale on." <laughs> <laughs> just, it would have been God. That would have been a good bit. Like just all, all like shit that nobody knows what it is, and then just the whale. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going on the next poll. Oh, well, we're sure. actually fucking. It's the whale and Werkmeister harmonies. <laughs> Yeah, those are the, the ultimate parent. <laughs> all the all the notable whale movies. Uh yeah, so anything you want. You want the whale, you want fucking workmeister cuz you prefer dead whales, that's cool too. Whatever the fuck you want, it doesn't matter. Uh but yeah, that would that would be great. So, think of all these wonderful things and no matter what, you donate at the highest level, the lowest level doesn't matter. You still get access to a whole backlog of written and recorded optimism vaccine content that is exclusive to patreon and uh, every once in a while we drop special patron episodes as well so you get access to those it's all great it's it's worth it 
Trust me, it's worth it. When have I ever been wrong? Myros, can you think of a single instance where I've been incorrect about anything? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Thank you. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, with that, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. We'd love to hear from you. I think that wraps things up. So, uh, boys, I'll see you. I'll see you with Brett Michaels next week. Mm-hmm.